Optimal Bio podcast. At Optimal Bio, we don't just balance your hormones, we balance your whole body. Our conversations range from nutrition to medicine with an emphasis on wellness tips to support your health journey. If you like what you hear, find us on the web at OptimalBio.com and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Optimal Bio's Wellness Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Philip Palmer, executive director and founder of Warrior Wad. Uh, Philip, you've done some crazy things uh, based on your background, so I thought we'd jump right into one of the things I thought I would love, but didn't really have a good time doing, which is skydiving. And, you know, as we know, everybody uh, has a bucket list and for the most part, most of us have, um, you know, either tried to skydive to check that box or, or anticipating skydiving down the road. My experience is they throw you in this, give you a little, you know, education and they throw you into a, you know, two bench plane and the thing shoots straight up in the air like a rocket. And then uh, you're attached to somebody you barely know. And then they throw you out. And the first, I don't know, maybe 15 seconds is phenomenal, right? You're just free falling. Everything's great. And then they pop that shoot. And I was the last person to go out. So we had to wait for everybody else to land. So we're in this like circle mode, you know, and I'm clearly never going to be a Navy or a Marine pilot because um, I have stomach issues once I start spinning around. So I couldn't wait yeah. to get to the ground. So uh, why do you love it so much? And uh, maybe you can help someone like me, uh, you know, overcome my, uh, my physical limitations. Yeah. So skydiving, um, I'll be honest with you. I started skydiving when I was still in the Marine Corps. Um, and, and I think this ties very nicely into uh, what we're doing with Warrior Wad. Because at the time, there was nothing for me to really um, cope with some of the PTSD issues that I had from my time in combat, right? And, and so on a whim, just one random Friday night, it was myself and another buddy drinking beer. And uh, he goes, hey, did you hear John went skydiving? I was like, oh, no, that's really cool. We should do that. He was like, all right, let's do it tomorrow. And we went the next day. Uh, he swore up and down. He was going to do it thousands and thousands of times. Um, and I swore up and down. It was a one and done. And so we both went, uh, and, and I'll tell you, like leaving the plane, uh, I had a similar experience that that first 15 to 20 seconds, absolutely amazing. And, and what I realized and what was really satisfying is there was no thoughts of my deployment. There was no stress from my job. There was no stress from relationships or bills or all the things that consume our days, right? Um, I was living in that moment and that was all I dealt with. And just looking at the view, enjoying the rush associated with it, even under a canopy, like I was not even thinking about all the stressors and all the demons that were in my life. And so it, all of a sudden it became addiction or almost like medication that I would go in the weekends and spend all weekend just kind of in peace. And I, I, equated almost like perfect peace. The only thing you have to do in those few minutes is think about those few minutes. And so that's why I loved it so much. I did about 4,000 skydives, uh, was able to uh, perform at the highest level. I was on the 2018 world record attempts. Um, and all of those accolades and accomplishments really was rooted in the fact that I was using skydiving to find peace. So that that's, you know, that's my pitch on it. Uh, hopefully it gets you back in there. Well, 
I mean, the, I agree with you on the whole peaceful part of it. You're kind of forgetting about everything as you're just looking down and seeing the, the view. Um, but like yeah. I said, once that shoots pulled and then you're, you know, slowing down and you're, you're in this case, I wasn't floating. I was spinning, but not in a, you know, <laughs> a, a bad spinning way, just a, you know, circular kind of thing going down corkscrew, I guess is the best way. I was like, man, yep. I gotta, maybe I'll try it again. And maybe next time I won't be the last guy getting off the plane. Yeah. Now I did hear that you were in uh, Denver. Is that correct? Today? I'm in Breckenridge, Colorado. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm assuming that you're going to fly out of Denver at some point. Correct. Uh, there's a uh, iFly, which is simulated skydiving. Um, so the thing that you said was the most enjoyable, uh, that's all you do in there. So it's a wind tunnel that uh, has wind coming in between 120 and 200 miles an hour. And it will make it feel just like skydiving. And I highly recommend it. Uh, I've got a lot of friends that still work at that tunnel. Um, and, and it is for someone that liked the free falling portion of it, uh, a way to replicate that without the, the canopy. I'll check it out. So tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself and how you got into, uh, I know you, you serve in the military and the Marine Corps and um, your background is very impressive. So I want you to just kind of just walk, walk the audience through uh, your background. Yeah. So I, uh, and I'll, I'll take it back, uh, with my thoughts of going in the military. So my grandfather, uh, amazing human, uh, has spent his whole entire adult life, uh, dealing with the, the Marine Corps, even in his retirement, he continues to give back. Uh, he's turning 90 and every day of his life is still dedicated to the Marine Corps. So uh, there was an element of when I was very, very young, he was brainwashing me, right? And, and so there's pictures of me at uh, Paris Island during uh, family day. And I didn't have any family that was uh, going through boot camp at the time, but he would take me down there throughout the summers every Friday. And what he was doing was showing me the culture associated with the Marine Corps. So I, I was sold. I knew that that's where I was going to go. Fast forward to my freshman year of college. I went to the Citadel um, which is a military, military college here in Charleston, South Carolina. And about September 5th of 2001, I signed the paperwork thinking that I was going to go into a peacetime uh, uh, military. And then a few days later, we all know what happened with uh, September 11th. And, and so everything kind of changed at that point. Um, so if we fast forward a little bit farther, I was commissioned into the Marine Corps in 2005, went through my initial training. 2006, I'm in Iraq um, and uh, in Ramadi. So Ramadi was a very chaotic uh, time at, or place at that time. Um, this is where the Sunni awakening happened. This is where um, Senator McCain came and to demonstrate how peaceful it is, walked through the streets of Ramadi without a flak jacket. Uh, and, and so it, it was a time that was very just make or break of the future of Iraq. And, and so uh, I'm in this very kinetic environment uh, and we had significant amounts of casualties, right? Uh, both US and then we partnered with our Iraqi. Um, and, and so because of that, it, it was something that I carried on moving forward. Um, and, and so, once we came home uh, in October of 2007, you know, I, I'm dealing with these demons kind of silently. Um, and 
there was a stigma in the military, and I hope that it's no longer there. I, I truly hope that uh, leaders that have gone through it have made this change. But when, you know, 2006, 2007, you know, there were still leaders that haven't deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, and, and there was a stigma that if you had mental health issues, you were not fit to lead and have command. And anybody in the military, they want greater responsibility. They want to be uh, a platoon sergeant. They want to be a first sergeant. I wanted to be a company commander. I was hoping one day to become a battalion commander. Um, and, and so you deal with that stigma and, and you learn quickly just to bottle it up. Uh, otherwise, you'll never get to go and do your aspirations. Um, so I bottled it up until 2013 uh, and I finally uh, left the military. Um, it, it became a point of, I love the men and women that I served with, but I was kind of done with some of the, the, uh, responsibilities, um, of a officer that was going to be sent behind a desk for a while. Right. And, and so I started to go to the VA. They finally diagnosed me with PTSD and then uh, TBI as well. Uh, so a brain injury uh, from IED blast. And their solution was to pump me full of antidepressants. Um, and, and so did it work? Yeah, it, it did. Like it numbed my mind and I didn't have the thoughts and the memories and the, the, the nightmares. Um, but it also numbed every other part of and so from a social aspect and from an occupational aspect, I was not performing at my capacity because I was numb uh, and, and everything was kind of foggy. On a whim, and I'm tying in kind of where Warrior Wad, the genesis of Warrior Wad is, on a whim, uh, I started to go to a gym that was just down the road from my house. Um, it was a mile, so I could run there, work out, run back. Um, it happened to be CrossFit at the time. I didn't know what CrossFit was, right? I was just like, okay, cool. It's super convenient. That's what I'm going to do. And over the year, the first year of being involved with CrossFit, uh, and I'm not one of the disciples of CrossFit, but I do believe in the community aspect. What I loved about it is you walk in and everybody is cheering you on. Even the last person to finish is getting the biggest applause, right? Uh, you, there's banners across the wall. You've got the Marine Corps flag, the Army flag, the Navy flag, the U.S. flag. Uh, we have these things called hero wads, um, and they very much so value the veteran and military community and first responders, right? And, and so you get this kind of community. And within that first year uh, of, of having that community, having accomplishments and, and uh, succeeding in goals, I was completely off my medication, completely. So that was my first thought, like, oh, there's something here. I, I couldn't quite pin it down. And then story after story after story of other individuals, uh, veterans and then also civilians alike, saying that it was through exercise that they were able to overcome and, and cope with their demons from PTSD. And, and so in 2019, we started uh, our correction. 2019, we started talking about uh, Warrior Wad. We didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. And then finally, in 2021, we pulled the trigger of it and, and we've been operating since. And so our purpose in life is to prioritize exercise and nutrition as prescriptions for PTSD and other invisible wounds for veterans and help them recover.
So uh, that's where we are today. That, that's uh, what my organization, Warrior Wad, does. Um, and I truly believe we're making an impact at this point. How many members do you help? So going directly through our program in the last year, we've had just over 50. Um, we've helped significantly more and had impacts and not the full blown uh, program, uh, but having influences, um, helping this veteran get uh, a gym membership, helping this veteran uh, work with a nutrition coach. Our program, the, the 50 that's gone through, what they have enjoyed uh, has been a paid gym membership, paid nutrition coaching, and then they would get paired with a mentor. We call them a battle buddy that would walk the journey with them for six months to help them get their um, uh, get past some of the demons that they're dealing with and then build a healthy lifestyle so that they can carry the torch themselves. So what is your theory on why exercise helps with PTSD? There, there's a bunch of research out there. Um, and very technical and uh, high level uh, speak where I'm probably not the best person to bring it up. Um, but I boil it down to there's a couple of things that happens. You build self-worth as you are working out uh, your A, accomplishing goals, whether that's run a little bit faster, lift a little bit heavier, uh, drop an inch on your waist size, right? So you're building some confidence there. I also believe big in the community style exercise. Uh, so Orange Theory, CrossFit, um, Camp Gladiator, uh, uh, F45, these organizations that bring you into a class and then you and I are working together or, or working beside each other, but we have an opportunity to socialize and, and really just be a part of a community. I think that that's a big piece of it. You know, from a chemical standpoint, and this is where, you know, I don't have a PhD, so. Uh, I may butcher some of this stuff, but the releasing of endorphins um, and, and other uh, hormones because of working out has a direct correlation to your mental health and, and helping kind of ease some of those pains. So have some of your members talked about testosterone treatments? Is that is that something that's part of the uh, maybe not your program per se, but just programs in general? And I'll tell you, I'll explain our situation in a second. Yeah, so yes, it's coming up. Uh, it is quite, it's not part of our program. I, I know that Optimal Bio and I have had some conversations of where it could fit in and be nested in very nicely. Um, but the conversation is happening and, and people are starting to recognize that there is this thing uh, with TRT or uh, bioidentical um, capabilities that can help them in their uh, pursuit to recovery, right? Um, I'm very interested in finding a way to make it a part of our program for the, the veterans that need it. Yeah, we would, uh, back in our Southern Pines location, we treat a lot of military, um, army in this case. And uh, one of the patients uh, does a lot of work with uh, PTSD as well. He's, I think, a former colonel that, you know, retired and, you know, one of his life's missions work is to help other soldiers that are suffering um, as he suffered as well. And, and one of his theories was, you know, making sure that before you can treat somebody from a mental standpoint, you, an emotional standpoint, you really have to make sure that their body is, uh, is, is balanced, you know, from a physiology standpoint. And 
one of the primary things, especially in this day and age with, um, and with most of us actually, uh, just due to, you know, phylates due to, uh, roundup due to, you know, PVC piping and whatever that, you know, our hormones are out of balance, um, which is then creating, you know, anxiety, um, lack of energy, um, other physical and, um, and emotional ailments as well. So he's was obviously, you know, a, an advocate of, of the treatment, um, where they can then balance the body and then they can then work on, you know, some of the other emotional, you know, pieces of, uh, you know, trying to help people get better. Um, and, uh, and to your point earlier, you know, obviously if your levels are better, um, then you're going to have better workouts. Uh, you're going to probably feel more inclined to, you know, want to do more when you're working out and what have you and, and not be as discouraged. So, right. um, anyhow, that, that's, I wanted to share that with you. I'm not sure if, you know, in your community, you've, you've talked about that at all. And, and, and we have, and you're hundred percent right. Like, um, to have a, uh, steady state of testosterone and it be at the optimal level makes a huge difference in how fast someone can recover, right. And meet those goals. But I also, you know, I know that I, I have TRT treatments currently, and if I miss it, I feel terrible for the next couple of days. It affects me mentally. Right. And, and so, you know, this is not scientific. This is completely subjective. But if I miss my dosage, all of a sudden, um, the next two or three days, I'm just in, in, in the gutter emotionally. So there is something there, but I'm not scientific enough to know exactly why that's the case. Nor am I. Um, obviously, if you talk to Dr. Brandon, he could probably give a better um, explanation to that. The only thing I could say is that, you know, if less testosterone, cortisol gets produced more, um, estrogen's off, you know, so at the end of the day, your body, you know, is not exactly, you know, running in an optimal, you know, way. And, uh, right. you know, I don't want to get into the, the, we obviously do the BHRT, you know, bioequivalent hormone replacement therapy and the pellet um, and not the shots or anything else. Uh, but that's not why we're here today. But I just wanted to, um, you know, ask that question just to see, you know, what, what, what you're seeing out there as well. So working out, being part of a community, you know, all those good things. Um, what are some of the other things that, um, you know, help, you know, uh, re with recovery with PTSD? Yeah, so I think the linchpin of our program um, is our battle buddy uh, system. And, and in 2013, when I got out, I took a job in just outside of New Orleans. And yes, there's other uh, veterans that are in that area, but they weren't part of my community. And, and I quickly realized that I had no one that I could really talk to and kind of vent because I sounded crazy if I was talking about my times in deployment. People just looked at me like I, they, they felt for me, but they didn't know how to empathize. And, and so what our battle buddy program does is give you someone that's walked a mile in your shoes, probably has dealt with their own demons, uh, has appreciation for how exercise and nutrition can help you, and they empathize. So it gives them, the the veterans, the ability to talk to someone that understands them very well. And so that, to me, is the linchpin of the program. I think that that is a big part of helping individuals recover from PTSD, not therapy, right? Therapy um, has its place. Uh, but I find that, that that's a one-way street. With a battle buddy, it, it becomes a true relationship. And, and that, in my, in my opinion, 
it is one of the greatest things we can do to help these veterans is give them someone that they can build a relationship with that understands them. Why don't you speak to the nutrition piece as well? You know, what are you all doing there? Yeah. So I've partnered with an amazing individual. Um, he's significantly smarter than I am. He has a PhD, I think in two different things. Um, but here in Charleston, as a part of Ironbridge CrossFit, uh, they have a nutrition program as well. And, and so Donnie is a certified nutrition coach. Um, and what he will do is every two weeks, he meets with these veterans and they talk about uh, healthy eatings. They talk about mic- uh, macros. Uh, they talk about eating for your goals. Uh, we provide the veterans a uh, in-body once a month as well. So uh, we'll find a location that has in-body so we can get a understanding of their progress. And Donnie is just amazing about getting to the root cause of what's going on in, in their life. And then building a nutrition plan around that's going to help them progress. Um, and it's interesting. We've got some veterans that are, you know, perfectly matched with the, the macros and they're doing, you know, meal preps and everything's, you know, as you would think someone that is uh, really on a serious diet would be doing, right? We have others that they're in their journey. Um, we're just asking them not to eat the donut today. And it's interesting. And again, this is very scientific stuff that, you know, I can't speak to technically, but the chemicals and uh, some of the the, the sugars and uh, the processed foods and donuts and cookies, we just remove that out of the way. Um, We are increasing their ability to cope significantly. Right. Um, Our. We have one individual. All we have done is remove them from drinking Coke. And in the last four months, and I'm making a correlation that may not be there, uh, but they have improved significantly in their PTSD symptoms. Uh, They are significantly better. And from a nutrition standpoint, we just removed one of the, the worst things in their diets and it's made a huge difference. So is it mostly sugar related and carb related? It depends on what their goals are. So, um, you know, Donnie understands that carbs are necessary for uh, performance. Um, So if if it's an athlete like I was five years ago that was competitive, um, you know, carbs were a part of my diet. Now that I'm not, Donnie would tell me, cut back on my carbs a little bit. Sugar, absolutely, yeah. You know, that's a big piece of it as well. Sugar uh, and processed foods, um, you know, what they do to the body and the mind is essentially just degrade its capacity, right? And, and so by removing those, we're already putting that veteran a step ahead in, in their journey. So is sugar the primary issue with a lot of the, the nutritional pieces of... Um, yeah, sugar is a huge part of uh, what we're doing with the nutrition focus of our program, right? Is trying to cut those out. You know, that along with some of the processed foods, um, you know, we're not a paleo focused organization, but there is some merit to the point that if it doesn't na- naturally decompose or it doesn't do it in a reasonable amount of time, uh, like if I left something out on the counter for two or three days, if it doesn't start to spoil in some fashion, it's probably not something you want to put in your body. Right. And, and so that that's 
one of the, the topics that our nutrition team is pushing. Now, again, it, it really depends on where that veteran is and with their journey. You know, it may be a victory is taking one specific thing out of their diet. Or it may be as much as, you know, really cleaning up their eating uh, habits so that they're eating extremely optimal across all meals. Um, and, and so that, that that's a big part of it. The other part is making sure that they are, you know, it's counterintuitive because you think if you skip meals, you'll lose weight um, because you're getting less calories. But you also um, prevent yourself from performing at the level that you need when you're working out or it encourages binging. Right. So, you know, yes, sugar is a huge part of where we're focusing, but we're looking at all around the healthy eating habits associated with someone that wants optimal health. Got it. So speak to the time in the military. My son was in the army. Um, after you, he was uh, in from 14 to 21. And I was stunned uh, how unnutritious uh, <laughs> the military is. And it's almost like they're stuck back in the you know, 1940s or 1950s to some extent. And I'm thinking to myself, especially these high level, you know, infantry units, um, you know, they got to perform at maximum uh, peak performance. Right. And, you know, when they're out in the field, obviously they're eating MREs, um, which I'm sure are nutritious to some extent, but are loaded with chemicals and everything else. And then when they're, you know, back on base, uh, especially the infantry, uh, the listed, so to speak. I mean, it's Mountain Dew, it's Coke, it's, you know, candy, it's popcorn, it's everything you can yeah. possibly, uh, uh, you know, name. And uh, I'm just wondering, I mean, from your experience, was there any, you're obviously an officer, was there any discussions around that at that point in time? Or was it more about just going out and trying to win a yeah, battle? Yeah, I mean, yes, there was discussions. Obviously, we wanted a way, and I remember this very distinctly when I was deployed in 2006 to Ramadi. So we lived in the city, so we'd get these things called log packs. So the logistical trains would bring in hot chow once a day to wherever our uh, patrol base was, and we moved around the city. And I remember talking to some of the other officers, and it's like, how do we balance this? How do we get you know the nutrition food, but also the comfort foods? Because, you know, these guys, they, they don't have anything. And, and at the time, we didn't have internet. We had a sat phone that we were allowed to call once a month home, right? Um, so food ended up being that comfort item that we were able to give them. Um, now, is that the right way to do it? Arguably, yes. Arguably, no. Um, but I also feel like there was not many individuals that were well-rounded enough in, in that kind of conversations, understanding nutrition. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I started realizing that Gatorades were bad for you, right? And I pounded Gatorades all the time uh, because that's what athletes drink. Uh, and so there's so many misperceptions and, and I, you know, we would hope that some of the senior officers would do di due diligence digging into that, but you know, that, that probably takes a back seat, right? I do know, depending on, so I was a part of the Marine Corps Martial Arts uh, Center of Excellence. Um, so that that's our martial arts, uh, very similar to the Army's combatants. Um, and in 2011, I believe, I became the operations officer. 
And that was a huge part of what we were trying to do as an organization is bring to light some of the um, nutritional principles that would help infantry units and special forces units um, perform even better. Now, some of that was taken in and people bought into it. Sometimes it fell on deaf ears, but it's hard, you know, and, and I'm glad you asked this. It's hard because the operational cycle is you know, at least back in 2006, seven was that you deploy, then you had, you know, a little bit of uh, R&R time or rest recovery, and then you're back into training to deploy just to deploy again. And, and, and what, when we prioritize things, what is going to help the most? Is it healthy eating habits or is it teaching them how to efficiently, effectively shoot, move and communicate on the battlefield? Arguably it's both, right? Because one leads into the other and the other leads into the other. Um, but I don't think someone that is 25 years old that happens to be an officer is thinking along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's like with anything in the, in the, in our country at this point in time, uh, you know, the populations would be just be simply becoming sicker and sicker. And, you know, back in, I think, 1997, um, you know, I think 14% of the 18 and under crowd, you know, was on some type of medication. Now it's close to 50%. So it's, and obviously as a, if you're a young adult and you're sick, then you're probably not going to be better when you become an adult. Right. So, um, you know, and, and I think we're, we focus sometimes on the wrong things. Um, so it's kind of, refreshing to hear that, you know, through what you're trying to do, um, with your, your organization, you know, where you're focusing on nutrition as well, in addition to other things, um, you know, hopefully as you educate your guys and then hopefully they educate, you know, their kids and so on and so forth, that we can start turning this wheel Absolutely. around. And, but, you know, as you're talking, it made me think of a quote, and I'm going to butcher this quote a little bit. Uh, and I don't, I can't give credit to who said it because I don't remember, but I've heard this several times. You either focus on your health now while you're young, or you are forced to focus on your health when you're old. Uh, and, and the gravity is, you know, and I'm a product of this. I have a nine to five outside of Warrior Wad. And, and so I sit at my desk, I get super focused on running my sales team, and I go all day without moving, uh, eating probably not the best food. Uh, drinking tons of coffee, right? Um, I could focus on my health today and less on, you know, trying to be completely efficient and, and prioritizing myself and my family, or I'm going to be forced when I'm 60, 70, 80 years old to try to fix things that, you know, a lifetime of bad decisions have caused me to have, you know, and you're right. I mean, even obesity rates, uh, uh, the rates of heart attacks, COPD, all of these things are increasing. And it's increasing uh, exponentially on the veteran side as well. Um, when you look at just obesity rates, the veteran population, and this is counterintuitive as well, veteran populations are more obese than civilian counterparts. Oh, yeah. And I think it ties back into what you were asking me about eating habits while we were in the military. When I was in the military, I would pound two MREs a day. They have like 2,500 or 2,500 calories each. So 
you know, I would patrol all day long. Uh, I was completely active nonstop and I would eat, you know, this large quantity of calories. Well, fast forward to when I got out in 2014, I didn't change my eating habits. I was still eating at the same amount, but I was sitting at a desk or I was uh, talking to a customer. I wasn't patrolling. I wasn't carrying 70 pounds of gear on my back. I wasn't running every single day. Like, so that is a part of it as well. Um, and, and across all the major diseases and health issues, veterans lead uh, statistically most of like COPD, cancer, skin cancer, uh, specifically um, heart attacks, uh, cardiovascular disease. All of these areas, veterans are more, are more likely to have it statistically. And so that's part of what we're trying to do as well. That's a byproduct, right? If we can, when we get them in their 30s, 40s, and 50s and work with them through our program, we can start diverting some of those uh, statistics. Right. I would think, too, just, you know, with your entry requirements to get into the military these days because of the obesity issue, I mean, you must be pretty selective or in order to meet your quota, so to speak, you might have to be less selective and the hopes that in boot camp you'll be able to, you know, to, to shape shift, you know, some of these um, recruits. I mean, is that true? Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is while you're in the military, you're held to a, um, the standard, we called it uh, body composition program uh, in the Marine Corps. I'm sure the army has terms and every branch has their own terms, but as a male, uh, I couldn't be over 18% body fat. Now, when you kind of put that in perspective, almost a fifth of your body's fat. So th there is some latitude, right? Uh, right. Most people, when they're junior or they're coming into the military, that, that's not the issue. Yes, there are the ones that have to cut a bunch of weight to you know, meet the standard, but there are standards associated. Where we're seeing the, the biggest fluctuation is... Uh, Senior people in the military, they've been there for a while um, and, you know, shame on them for not uh, leading by example. But then more so once they get out, kind of my journey was that um, I, I kept eating the same way I did when I was in the military. And, and there was a time period, uh, 2014, 15, that I was kind of fluffy. Um, and that was because I, I wasn't paying attention to my eating habits and you know, changing based off of my current situation. I was still eating like I was uh, 25 years old and patrolling 10, 12 hours a day in Iraq, you know. So I think that that's where the problem is. Yeah, and I would think too, if you don't have a very good image of your, um, your body, if you're, you know, if you're overweight and you're in civilian life, but you are suffering from PTSD, that's obviously not right. going to help you know, in, in the recovery as well. Yeah. You know, that self-worth is a big thing. Like uh, being able to feel good in your own skin uh, may not remove the PTSD, but it's a step in the right direction. So talk to me about your personal workout regime. What does that look like? So up until recently, I was an avid CrossFitter um, and I got a little burnt out on that. And I just transitioned to more of a traditional body uh, building slash lifting weights and, and running. Um, and I don't know if Aaron knows this or not, uh, him and I communicate quite a bit, but about a month ago I tore my pec. Uh, so 
right now it's solely running and then doing dumbbell um, and body weight, lower body exercises, because you know, I don't know if you've torn your pec before or not, but um, it limits everything. Uh, you can't go overhead. You can't press. You can't uh, put barbell on your back to do squats. It, I mean, everything is affected by that. So my current uh, workout is essentially I run every day and then I will do dumbbell lower body stuff uh, because I have the range of motion to do that. At some point, I want to get back into CrossFit. I personally really enjoy that modality um, because it mixes both aerobic, anaerobic, um, and then it's high intensity, so you could do it pretty quickly. Uh, but I like the gymnastics aspects of it. I don't know why, but that's been something that I've always gravitated to. Um, and that's something that I don't get uh, with more of the traditional uh, bodybuilding slash uh, free weights kind of workouts. Yeah, just for those listening, Aaron uh, is one of our uh, managers at Optimal Bio. Um, yeah, the tearing tear a peck is not good. I mean, you see that every once in a while in the NFL or in college football, and these guys are out for, you know, four to six months. It's just it's, the only thing that heals is rest. And um, so the fact that you're able to do a little bit of a workaround is good. Um, but uh, I would think running every single day cannot be fun after a while either. So how do you keep that fun and interesting? Yeah, so I live in Charleston, South Carolina, and if you've ever been here, it's beautiful. Right. Uh, and, and I personally believe it's the most beautiful place in the world. Um, now, I'm biased. I grew up here. Um, and but to be able to run on the banks of a river, or, you know, be on the marsh uh, that change and change in that environment every single day, that helps me. Uh, but I also mix it up. You know, some days I just run two miles super slow just to get it out there. Other days I challenge myself and it's like, all right, how fast can I run this two miles? Um, I will also put on a weighted vest. So I have a plate carrier, uh, very similar to what we had in the military that has, uh, weighted, uh, plates inside of it. Right. And, and so I'll run with that to mix it up. I may not run the full two miles, but it's changing that dynamic. It's changing kind of the, the stimulation associated with it. Um, I've tried the, I do the same run every single day and then I fall off the wagon. What I've learned works for me is. Every single day, it has to be slightly different. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people that, you know, come into Optimal Bio, they're, they get the, the hormone treatment um, and then they think that's going to just fix them. And, um, you know, there's obviously the, it's a two-tier, three-tier component, right? It's, it's nutrition and it's also, you know, exercise as well. And, uh, you know, if you haven't exercised before, you know, a lot of people start out, you know, going 60 miles an hour as opposed to zero or one mile an hour. And we've in past podcasts have talked about, you know, if you'd never done it before, just go take a walk around yes. the block, you know, maybe do one push up, you know, and then, you know, slowly, you know, get to two to get to three, get to four and so on and so forth. Um, uh, but I do think also the second piece of it is if you're doing the same exact thing every single day, just like you would in anything in life, if you ate the same exact food, if you read the same exact book, if you watch the same exact show over and over and over and over again, you know, you're going to get bored yeah. after a while. So, um, uh, but I think you get kind of get into this, um, exercise routine where, man, I got to do bench press today. I got to do, uh, I got to go run my two miles. I'm going to run the same exact route every single day. It's going to get bored oh, yeah. after a while. So 
when you're to walk, work, working with some of your, um, uh, your, your members, you know, are they, do you find that they kind of fall into some ruts as well? And if so, do you offer them, give them tips and techniques to do things differently? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes to both, uh, questions and, and you know, we have some veterans and, and their whole objective in life is go walk around the block once or twice a week. Right. And, and others, they're a part of a gym. We pay for their gym membership. You know, we are finding a, and this is why I gravitate towards more of the community style, uh, workout gyms or the gyms, right? Uh, CrossFit, Orange Theory, the like. Um, those that we send a 24-hour fitness or crunch fitness or uh, Gold's Gym, some of them get super burnt out because, as you were saying, they do the same thing over and over and over again. Now, to help with that, that's why we have this Battle Buddy program because um, that, that's part of their conversation. It's, hey, man, what are you doing? And it's just an unbiased way of someone saying, Cool. Glad that you've gotten into this uh, regime of doing Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, the same thing. Let's spice it up a little bit. Let's, you know, instead of doing this, why don't you try this in the gym? And, and that that's helped out a lot. Having that mentorship um, is, again, I, I said it earlier, is the linchpin of our whole program. And it goes back to kind of what you're saying is that's how we prevent the burnout of uh, the same routine over and over again. Someone's actually invested in your journey and, you know, helping you with that. Did you have a hard time finding these battle buddies, these mentors? Initially, when we were kind of an unknown commodity, no. Or, or yes, absolutely. Like, And then all of a sudden, uh, we had one person that was our battle buddy and he started talking to a couple of buddies and then now I have more battle buddies than I have veterans. It's interesting. Um, but here's, you know, part of our program is, you know, at the end of the six months, there's really three different avenues a veteran can go. I'll go from, you know, worst case uh, to best case. Um, worst case is we get into six months. It didn't help them. And so we have to recalibrate our program, we'll not turn them away. They get brought back into the program and we recalibrate our approach to get them to where they need to be. Now, all along, we've been doing recalibrations as we need to. But at the end of the six months, they're like, you know, I'm still suffering and I still have a tremendous amount of work to go. We'll bring them back in. So that that's kind of the, the worst case. Um, the next one is that they get to the end of the six months. Uh, they're like, Hey, I can carry this journey on my own. You know, I've changed a lot of my uh, lifestyle choices and how I work out uh, for the better. And, you know, I can do this by myself, but I, I'm not really invested in doing anything more of Warrior Walk. The last one, and I think this answers your question, and what I would say about 90% of our veterans do is they get to the end of the six months, they're like, hey, that was incredible. You know, I, I got a new outlook. You know, yes, I still have s- symptoms, but I have a coping mechanism through exercise and nutrition. I'm on the road to recovery and I can take the torch myself. However, I want to pay it forward. And now I want to take those that are going to follow in my footsteps through their journey and, and help them get to where I'm at. And, and so that's why we don't have our time getting battle buddy. Got it. Everything sounds great. Unfortunately, you probably run into some folks every once in a while that just simply can't cope 
can't progress within your program, what happens to them? What do you, do you recommend them to go someplace else? Like how, how does that work? Yeah. So absolutely we do. Um, if we're not situated and I'm not going to give any names or, uh, uh, identifying information on this one veteran, but I have a veteran in my program that has a issue that's beyond my scope. I cannot, um, through my staff or through my professional knowledge, get her to where she needs to be. So what we are doing, uh, I've partnered with uh, another nonprofit down in Costa Rica, Costa Rica Recovery, that um, we can send veterans down there for 30, 60, 90 days, all paid for, uh, flight, everything's paid for. Um, and, and it's a recovery uh, place that it just has capability beyond my means. Um, so that's what's going to work for this individual. Now, that's not a perfect solution for everyone. But when a veteran comes to us and presents problems outside of our scope, we owe it to them to be an advocate and help them find their way. Now, uh, I have another veteran that's dealing with a foreclosure on their house. Um, I don't give out money to help with that, right? But what I have done is partnered that individual with another nonprofit that can help them with financial assistance. Um, one of the, the things that I've been, I can't tell you yet if lucky or unlucky, uh, but here in Charleston, uh, we have the Low Country Veterans Engagement Team. Um, and so the governor has brought in a secretary of the VA that has established these regions in South Carolina. And each region becomes a coalition of nonprofits that make sure veterans don't fall through the cracks. Um, you know, and I was recently nominated as the co-chair. Um, so again, I don't know yet if that was that voluntold has been a blessing or a curse. But what I love about it is it's given me the, the, the capability to reach out to other nonprofits when your question comes up that, hey, how do I help someone outside of my scope? I have a tremendous network of other nonprofits that can help out. So how are you funded? <laughs> Up until recently, out of my savings. So um, we finally made a transition uh, where people were donating quite a bit to us. Um, we also have started writing grants. I've always written grants uh, since we've started. I'm just terrible at it, quite frankly. Um, so I professionalized our staff a little bit and I brought an amazing individual, uh, her name's Courtney, uh, Greenwood to this, um, to the staff. And she has been helping me with grants. And since she's come, we're, we're really making some true traction. Right. Um, but in the last two months, we've had a weird dynamic happen. Um, and optimal bio was kind of part of this. They've reached out to us and say, Hey, we want to get involved in some fashion. We believe in what you're doing. We don't know what that looks like, uh, but we want to get involved. So every single day I'm having these conversations and whether it's financially or time, people are contributing to us, um, but they're also talking about us, which is leading more people to financially support us. Um, we also had the uh, Institute of Clinical Excellence reach out to us recently. And this organization, you know, I can't sing their praises enough, uh, they have offered, uh, unsolicited, offered that they would do a matching campaign for us. So up to $10,000, 
every dollar that we raise uh, in the month of September, they're going to match it. So we have the opportunity to raise $10,000. They'll give us $10,000. That's $20,000 to help our veterans. Um, and 100% of it will go to our programs. That's fantastic. I mean, if you broke it down by numbers, um, how much does it cost uh, you know, to help a member out? On average, it's about fifteen hundred dollars. Now, you know okay. the the constant is the nutrition coaching. I know what that costs, but uh, there is a different price um, for the different modalities, different gyms. You know, whether it's a mom and pop in you know Boise, Idaho, or it's a CrossFit gym in New York. You know, those are going to be varying different uh, costs, right? Um, so, on average, it's about fifteen hundred dollars. Um, what, what's interesting is this is another dynamic that's happened recently. I'll call a gym and say, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Uh, you know, I'm going to pay up front six months of this veterans gym membership. And, and they, most of the time have started coming to us and say, listen, we love what you're doing. We're going to get a paying member out of this in six months. We're going to invest in your program and we're going to either heavily discount it or what's happened more and more recently is people have said, don't even pay us. And so we've got that dynamic happening as well. So when you're asking about funding, we've been blessed recently with the generosity of, of the community around us to, to help us move forward. Now, six months ago, uh, I was paying all of this out of my pocket and, um, you know, we, we weren't getting the, the concessions. I think people were realizing that we have a little social proof behind us um, that, they're starting to see some of our results. And when I talk to someone, when I talk to these gym owners or uh, the sponsors like Aaron and uh, the Optimal Bio team, they inherently realize that what we're doing is the right track, right? Um, exercise and nutrition as the prescription instead of antidepressants and once a month therapy as the prescription. You know, when you, when you peel that back, it's very intuitive that that's the right way to go. Um, I was on a, a conversation earlier this week and the individual asked me, he's like, why do you do, or do you enjoy what you do? And it's like, I absolutely love it. Like it's super impactful. However, I wish that I didn't have to do it. I wish that there wasn't a reason for us. I wish that the VA had this as part of their program or as military members were transitioning out, they were getting the, the help that they need. Or when they're dealing with it as a active duty or reservist in, in the military, um, the organization that they're a part of would help them, right? I wish that there was no reason for Warrior Watch. Right. But there is. And, and so uh, because of that, uh, I, I do enjoy what I do uh, because of the impact we're making. Um, but it'd be nice if we didn't have to do it. Sure. Well, I do think too, uh, you know, for the, seems to the majority of the Americans uh, have great respect for veterans and, you know, certainly want to help and, and they recognize the sacrifice that they've made for, uh, for the country. And um, so from a fundraising perspective, I think you probably would be somewhat successful um, compared to some of these other fundraising things that I've done in my past. Um, and, uh, but, you know, what, I guess ultimately, you know, if you, you know, look at the future and, you know, you're, you know, five years down the road. I mean, where do you see where you're What do you want it to be eventually? 
So I wanted to be a well-recognized program that is helping veterans um, recover from their mental health issues, right? Uh, kind of universally. There's, you know, and it depends on what report you read. Uh, some reports say 18, some say 22, um, but there are uh, way too many veterans committing suicide every single day, right? And, and so whether it's 18 or 22 or one, that's still a tragedy, right? Um, there is an additional 30 veterans that are losing their lives to substance abuse a day. So when you do that math, it's between 48 and 52 veterans that are no longer with us. And if you peel it back slightly, what's the cause of that? It's because they couldn't cope with their invisible wounds. Either A, they wanted to numb it with drugs and alcohol to the point where uh, they overdosed and lost their life, or they wanted a quick exit because they couldn't deal with their invisible wounds. Where I see Warrior Wad in five years is making a very positive impact on those statistics, getting ahead of it. There are some amazing organizations, uh, Mission 22, uh, Bahala Project. Like They're absolutely amazing. They focus on the, the, the suicide part. They focus on the kind of the end. What I want to do is get ahead of it and focus it on before it becomes that tragedy. Why we have plenty of time to get them on a different course. And, and so if we could deal with um, veterans while they're looking to recover and getting ahead uh, of them getting into that uh, rut where they think they need to take their lives will have a huge impact. And that's where I want to be in five years. Um, to answer it a little farther, when we started this, my wife, who is an amazing and very patient individual, uh, very patient. Not they all? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, not only is she that, but she's also dealing with a six month old, uh, as well. So, you know, Congrats. yeah, she's super busy, but when we, um, when I first started talking about starting this, she goes, do you want to take on yet another thing? We were just getting married. Uh, starting a new job. We just moved to Charleston. Uh, th there was so much in our lives and, you know, we came to the consensus together that if we save one veteran's life, one and a lifetime of work, isn't it worth all of it? And I say all of that because that's where I want to be in five years. I want to be able to come back and say, hey, Jim, listen, you know how we talked about saving one veteran's life? We were able to do that. Not only were we able to save one, but we've saved X number um, because we had that positive influence. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, your, your mission, it's a calling, actually, um, you know, more so than a mission. And uh, I do think that you know, you probably could speak to this as well. I don't want to go into too deep of a discussion on it right now, but it seems that even in active military, I mean, suicide's a big issue. And, you know, I remember my son telling me that they would, you know, they get the stats every single month. Um, but then when COVID hit, you know, everything got, you know, got focused to mandating vaccines as opposed to taking care of the mental health issues within the military. Um, so I think you, you, you're kind of starting from, you know, 30 yards back, you know, at the start line, you know, because there's been nothing really being done and active. And then when they get out, you know, now you have, uh, you know, it's almost, you got more, more work to do, I guess, than you otherwise maybe would have. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we're also dealing with another dynamic uh, with recently younger uh, veterans that recently left the military. So when I was in, and this is just product of 
just happened to be born when I was right. It's not that, um, the, I deployed multiple times. I saw a lot of combat. Why did I join the Marine Corps? Well, because in my mind, that's what I would be doing, right? At some point, going to see combat. And, you know, that's why most people join the military. But there's a dynamic that's happening right now. And I've got a lot of friends that joined in 2016, 17, 18, never deployed. And, and they were in infantry units or artillery units or tank units and never saw combat. And now they're getting out. Um, and there's a, I wouldn't say survivor guilt, but there's a bit of, I didn't, uh, serve like I should have. And that eats at them as well. Uh, mm -hmm. so when we talk about, uh, PTS and, and invisible wounds, you know, it doesn't mean that someone had to see combat. There, there's many elements and you're hundred percent right. In, in the last two years, um, the focus has shifted so drastically away from taking care of people's mental health to focusing on COVID. But when everyone went to their homes and was in isolation, didn't that spike mental health issues? Right. Exactly. We're trying to fix this. So this falls off, but because this falls off, we've got to now go over here and try to fix this. Like it's the cyclic thing that uh, we just can't get ahead of. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think with the military pulling back, the, you know, U.S. government in general just getting out of all these spots and, you know, in effect becoming more isolationist. I mean, it's going to, there's probably going to be less active duty and, and there's only so much training you can do. It kind of goes back to working out before. If you're just doing the same thing over and over again, you're going to, you know, you're going to have to remain fresh in some way, shape or form. Yep. Listen, it's been great speaking with you today. Um, learned a lot. Um, very proud of uh, everything that you've done. As always with our podcast guests, we ask them to give our audience, you know, five takeaways, you know, life experiences you've had, you know, people you've met, um, anything you want to pass along, um, either as a form of advice or, you know, what not to do. Um, the, the, uh, the microphone again is yours. Wow. Um, loaded question. So, uh, I'll try to do this off the cuff real fast. Um, so one of the biggest suggestions that I have, and this is a common conversation, Veterans will come or I will talk to veterans that are interested in the program. They're like, listen, I'm not that bad off. Give it to someone else. I'm not worthy to have your your, your program. And, and I turn the conversation around and I hope all the listeners kind of take this, whether you're a veteran or you're not a veteran, first responders, complete civilian, whatever it is. If you're dealing with something and you feel like, yeah, I'm dealing with it, um, there's others that are more deserving. I would say that that's probably a wrong way to look at it. Look at it this way. You're closer to being part of the solution. So let's get you to where you need to be. So then you could pay it forward and help the person that really needs it. Right. And, and so um, I hear that all the time. It's not a competition of who has it worse. If you're struggling, go get help. And it's that simple. And then when you get to a point that you're good, pay it forward, help the next person. Um, and then collectively as a community, we could have a huge impact. Um, and I think that that kind of ties into my second piece of advice. If you're struggling, reach out to someone. Um, you know, one suicide is too many. And it doesn't matter, you know, what demographic or, you know, your past life, whether veteran or not. Um, it's a network of people that suffer. Um, and, and I look at it in my life, right? Uh, if I would to take my life, 
my wife, my uh, six-month-old daughter, my grandfather, uh, my father, my mother, all of my friends that are so they, they're the ones that is going to suffer. And as much as we want to take care of them, we also want to take care of the person that's suffering uh, internally. And so if you are suffering, reach out. Even if you're not a veteran and you, you need help, reach out to me. I will gladly pick up my phone uh, any time of the day or night and, and let you vent and hear you out and be a part of your solution. Great stuff. So how does one get a hold of you? Yeah. So our website is warriorwad.org. Um, th- there's several different contact methods through there. Uh, I think my direct email address is there, but I'll give it out on the podcast. It's phil at warriorwad.org. Um, someone needs to talk to me or wants to support us or needs to be a part of our program. Uh, please, by all means, blow up my inbox. I, I would love nothing more to uh, have these conversations and help people out. Um, social media, um, all of our social media platforms is the Warrior Wad. Um, so if you go to Instagram, TikTok, anything else, uh, you can find us there. Excellent. And that's W-O-D for Wad. Yes. Um, hey, listen, it's been great talking to you today. Appreciate all your time. You've been a great guest and uh, I wish you nothing but the best of luck. I appreciate it, Jim. Thank you. This has been a production of Optimal Bio. Optimal Bio is CEO Tyler Brannon, podcast host and partner Jim Baker, medical director Greg Brannon, production assistance by Core Media, Beth Grabencourt, administrator, Kevin Duthu, executive producer. The podcast can be found on our website, optimalbio.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is Sunwave by Paradiso, provided by Epidemic Sound. Epidemic Sound.